Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We read from the verse 1 right through to the verse 9. Follow with me in the scriptures. Let's think of the words as we're reading. And pray in our heart that the Lord will speak to us. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown shall stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. And the Lord will stamp his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. It reads, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And my subject today is the secret of always rejoicing. Now, this is the Apostle Paul's fourth general exhortation to the church at Philippi. Remember, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been there for some time. He's chained to two guards 24-7. He's awaiting the sentence of death. The church is facing very challenging times. These are dark and difficult days. And Paul knew that the church in Philippi needed a word from the Lord. And as he closes his letter, we do discover that chapter 4 is one of the most personal, one of the most pastoral and practical sections of his entire epistle to them. Every word is relevant for every believer in every age. A word, I believe, that's tailor-made for every season. Now, he has exhorted this church to stand fast in the Lord. He has dealt with the issue of disagreement that becomes so divisive that leads to division and disunity. He has exhorted the church to live a life of laboring together in the gospel in verse 3. And now he exhorts the church to rejoice always in the Lord. Now, everyone wants joy in their life. Remember, the whole of the letter to the Philippines is supped up in these two words, be joyful. 
Philippians 4 and 4 is one of 24 references in the book to joy. It's the overall theme. And I would encourage you again to listen to the sermon in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. And you'll get a, 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 a synopsis of that whole theme. Philippians 4 and 4, I believe, are uh, some of the most simplest to read in the Bible. Uh, it's a text that's easy to memorize and quote. I have no doubt that the words are well known, but, but what does it mean? You see, if we scratch beneath the surface, we would discover straight away a, a pile of questions. Is it possible to rejoice always? What do the words mean? Is every born-again believer to go round about with a big smile in their face? Is it a sin to be sad or cry? Is the Christian to deny that he or she is in pain or suffering grief or in sorrow? Is it just a feeling or is it something that is concrete and real? Why did the Apostle Paul exhort the church to rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Is Paul just being a bubbly optimist here? Now, you see, these are many questions. And as I thought of this well-known simple text that's easy to memorize, these questions come to mind. And I wrote them down. And I believe that these questions, of course, demand answers. And I asked myself, well, well, what do the words mean? What do they teach us? Now, let me tell you, I believe this is a truthful word. I believe it's a teaching word. I believe it's a triumphant word. I believe it's a tested word. It's truthful because it's part of God's holy, infallible word. Every word of God is pure. It's a teaching word because I believe it's God's answer to the problems in the congregation in Philippi. Even the, even the problem of disunity. I, I believe it's a triumphant word because when this principle is put into practice, then quarrels, disputes, infightings, petty jealousies, greed is, is put away, put under the blood. And the individual in the congregation gains victory in Christ. It's a tested word for many can contest and testify that they have been blessed and helped and strengthened by the very thought and meditation of these words. So what sort of word is this? This is a word that's truthful. This is a word that is teaching. This is a word that's triumphant, a word that's tested. Now, if we look at the text, I want us to think this day of the secret of always rejoicing. First of all, remember that this is a command to be obeyed. Look at the words, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The word rejoice is a command. It's not an option. It's not a mere piece of advice that you can take or leave or dismiss. This is a clear command. We could really say this is a God-given precept. In fact, it's so emphatic that the Holy Ghost has led Paul to 
state it twice so there can be no mistake. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. It's a command to be glad in Christ. It's the believer's duty to rejoice in the Lord always. I believe this is a grace that we need to learn to cultivate in our hearts and lives. It's a grace that is connected to the Christian's contentment. Every believer must learn to live out his or her life in the joy of the wonderful grace and love of God in Christ. So it's more than having a a smiling face. It's more than being cheerful. It's more than having a, a, a cheerful disposition or nature. It's more than being happy. You see, when you and I read these words, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, we, we begin to think to ourselves, now, now this is impossible. And humanly speaking, it is. It's not something that we have by nature. I believe this is something that is gifted to us by the Holy Spirit. Something that abides in our hearts and lives by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. You see, maybe you're thinking, but what about my circumstances? What about my situation? What about my troubles? What about my sinfulness and my failures and and my weakness? What about my enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil? You see, many believers, when they read these words, don't feel glad, don't really feel happy. And maybe even don't feel like rejoicing. Many believers, because of situations and circumstances, are sad and and they're depressed. And they feel, well, well, I've got nothing to be joyful about. And maybe they feel that this is a joke. Maybe they feel this is a cruel jibe by the Apostle Paul. Maybe they feel this is a, a momentous challenge. You see, I want you to acknowledge how you feel. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm I'm angry, or or I'm upset. And I want you to park that feeling and set it to the one side in your mind. And then I want you to also take thought of this truthful, this teaching, this triumphant, this tested word. Because I point out to you again, we are commanded to rejoice. It was Paul that also said to the church at Rome that the kingdom of God is not in meat or in drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It was the Apostle Peter uh, that exhorted the church to whom he was writing in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and in the verse 8, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see, This is part and parcel of the Christian life. Paul's not being unrealistic. He's not being unreasonable. This is real. This is a command to be obeyed. This duty needs to be fulfilled. This spirit needs to be cultivated in us. And if it is, it will revolutionize our Christian testimony. Now, it's not merely smile. It's not even be happy. 
It's not keep your chin up or having a stiff upper lip. Or it's not even be cheerful. It's rejoice. And it's rejoice in the Lord. So it's not in your circumstances or your situation. It's not in what you have or don't have. It's rejoice in the Lord. In other words, it's a gospel-based joy. It's a joy that's based and rooted in the person and work of Christ. And, and could I say this morning, I believe there's no real, true, lasting joy apart from and without a real, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord by, by virtue of being in a saving relationship with him. Does that mean that a Christian will never be sad? Does that mean a Christian will never be depressed? Does that mean a Christian will never be down in the dumps or grieve or hurt? The answer is no. Remember what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, again the same message to the church at Thessalonica, rejoice evermore. Again, you see it was a command. But remember, we also read in John 11.35, Jesus wept. You see, it's not contradictory. The Savior could weep and yet have the fullness of joy in his heart and life, even as he faced the appointment of the cross, even as he faced the agony of the cross, remember, for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, even when he wept, he still had the fullness of joy in his heart and mind. The, the Apostle Paul also, who said rejoice evermore, or rejoice in the Lord, commanded us to weep with those who weep. And yet at the same time, he gives us this additional command, rejoice always. See, I don't believe the Apostle Paul ever put on a happy face. Neither did the Psalmist David. They never ever denied the intensity of their trials and troubles. They never denied that they had a broken heart at times. They never denied that they were in pain or in sorrow. They, they never denied their true feelings. Remember, I said to you, park your feelings. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I'm grieving, I'm in pain. And what I'm saying to you is, yet in the midst of those difficult circumstances, in the midst of those dark trials, in the midst of that pain that you feel, you can still have this principle applied, rejoice in the Lord. Because it's not merely a matter of feeling at any given moment or situation. It's a matter of learning to obey the Lord. It's a matter of leaning your all upon him. I've said it's repeated twice for emphasis. I don't want you to shrug it off. I don't want you to think this is a joke or a cruel jibe. This is a command to be obeyed. And we individually... And collectively, we must make a conscious choice to obey, even in our different circumstances and situation, even when all seems hopeless and all seems lost. You see, it has to do with our attitude. It has to do with our approach. The choice to rejoice must be carried out. And it often deliberately goes against how we feel. Maybe you're going through trials and troubles right now. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you feel, but I've been treated unfairly by others. I have been hurt and let down by, by, by people. 
I have been hurt by our church leaders. I have been disappointed by circumstances that seemed against me. I've been hurt. I face difficult decisions. I want you to understand this morning, even though that's how you feel, the choice to rejoice has to be made. Notice it's not rejoice most of the time. Wouldn't that be great if the Apostle Paul had said rejoice in the Lord most of the time? He didn't say that. He used the word always. Because you see, that, that would mean, well, we would think, well, well good, I, I, I usually rejoice. But in circumstances and situation when I feel I have a right to grumble and complain when things go wrong or, or, or things haven't went my way or, or, or lack of trust in the Lord in the midst of our trials or, or um, there, there's anger in my heart because I feel I've been treated unfairly and, and, and I've been disappointed because I've been let down. You, you see, it's not rejoiced most of the time and, and, and then that lets us an escape thing. It's rejoice always. I want you to see the force of this choice to rejoice. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul did? How at midnight in prison he sang praises unto the Lord. Um, Acts 16.25. Here's Paul in prison now under sentence of death. And 24 times he writes to this church at Philippi. And they've got their problems. They've got their difficulties. And 24 times he wants to talk about joy. He wants to talk about rejoicing. So if you're here this morning and you feel I have a good reason to be angry because of the way I've been treated and hurt and I have a good reason to uh, be depressed, then you think of the Apostle Paul. He was in prison for well part of two and a half years by now. And he had good reason to be angry. He had good reason to be sad and depressed given his treatment. He had even reason to be annoyed and upset with the church at Philippi and what was going on there. But when he said rejoice in the Lord always, it was his deliberate choice. Not something that was automatic to him. He said in this I will rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice. There's a command to be obeyed. Notice secondly here and very quickly... There's a contentment to be objective. You see, I've, I've tried to tell you this morning that this joy is not a superficial happiness based in circumstances. It's not a superficial happiness based in the absence of trials. It's not a superficial happiness that's rooted in money and riches. The Bible says, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. It's not a superficial happiness based on presenting a positive image or face. It's not a superficial joy or happiness worked out by addiction to drink or drugs or dancing or gambling or, or, or any of the social vices of the day. It's not even about creating a false sense of joy by artificial means. No, this is a concrete Solid, abiding contentment in the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew this joy when he was being beaten. 
He rejoiced that he was counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. He knew this joy when he was put into prison. He knew this joy when he was being shipwrecked. He knew this joy in prayer when he was preaching. He he, he knew this joy when he was singing praises. You see, I believe it's God's will for every believer to know this joy in the Lord, especially in difficult times and in difficult circumstances. Now, Now think of this, the contentment that's objective. Here's what I want you to put into your mind. Notice the position here. Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. If you're in Christ this morning, you've got reasons to rejoice. You've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You've been called in time to repentance and faith. You've been cleansed by the precious blood. You you can rejoice in the atonement. You you can rejoice in the fact that you've been adopted into his family. You've been adopted... uh, You've got the assurance that your your names are in the book of life. And and also, you've got this counseling that's going on day by day because God speaks to you out of his word. And also, you've got comfort. And also, you're cared for. And oh, if we only realized this morning what we have in Christ. I've been chosen. I've been called. I've been cleansed. I've been cared for. I've been counseled. I've been comforted. God has precious thoughts toward me. God has given me his precious promises. God has given me his lovely son. The Lord Jesus. Isn't he the most precious gift of all? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. So, so we need to think of what we have in the Lord. Think of your position and ask yourself, am I in the Lord? Have I bowed the knee as a sinner? Has I received Christ as my Lord and my Savior? There's a position here. Notice also there's a possession here because it's rejoice in the Lord. You see, what we're talking about is really the fruit of the Spirit. If you turn over there to the book of Galatians, look with me at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Ninefold fruit. And one of those fruits is joy. And we've already quoted Romans 14 and 17. um, The kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So when he talks about rejoicing in the Lord, he's talking about something that is really produced by the Spirit of God. People think that happiness is rooted to money. It's rooted to promotion in the workplace. It's promoted by having a good time through alcohol abuse and drugs and dancing and gambling. The party scene. Happiness is because our team won. Or happiness is because you bought something new. Or happiness is because you've got your way. And there's a feel-good factor. But that's not what we're talking about. True spiritual joy is in Christ. And it's the product in Christ of the Holy Spirit. And, and, And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's really one of his gifts that he bestows in the heart and life of the Christian. And when the Spirit of God is at work, then joy, rejoicing, becomes one of your possessions in Christ. There's a story told about 
Winston Churchill, World War II, he was getting a taxi across London. It was a black taxi, and it was at night time. There was a wartime broadcast going on by the BBC, and night after night, remember, London was going through the Blitz, and it was thought that people would feel better and they would get a wee update to cure their anxiety about what was going on in the war if Winston Churchill made a nice speech and brought people up to date. And that's what he was doing. So he's ferried from Westminster, from the, the war room, as it was called, uh, to the, the broadcasting house where he did the broadcast. And he asked the taxi driver as he was getting out, could you come back in 20 minutes? The taxi driver said, I can't. Well, why not? He says, Mr. Churchill is speaking in the radio. And I don't want to miss it. And as he was getting out of the taxi, Churchill didn't say, well, I'm Churchill. I'll tell you what I'm going to say now. Uh, but but he, he gave him 10 shilling tip through the window. And as he was walking away with his back to the cab, the, the cabbie driver shouted back at him and says, Hey, mister, I'll be back in 20 minutes. It doesn't matter about old Churchill. He's an old grape anyway. Who could listen to him? You see, he was rejoicing in his 10 shilling tip. And he maybe thought, I'm going to get another 10 uh, shilling tip. And you see, what I'm talking about is people rejoice in circumstances and in things. But we have a more wonderful blessing. Because what we're talking about is joy in the Holy Ghost. And not only because of our possession in Christ, but here's a possession in Christ. This is one of the, the fruits of the Spirit. Do you know something? There's a pursuit here. We think about this command to be obeyed and this contentment that's an objective. So, so we've got to pursue for this. And, and how? Could I encourage you by having fellowship with Christ? By, by talking to the Lord every day and reading his word? Wasn't it David that prayed in Psalm 51 in a backslidden state? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. See, he had lost it. See, true joy could be hindered. Our, our joy can be broken, it, it can be lost, and, and it needs to be restored. And, and also by focusing on Christ, who he is and what he's like. It's rejoice in the Lord. Do you notice the word Lord is in capital letters? You think of how gentle the Lord Jesus is. How he treated people. You think of how gracious the Lord Jesus is. It says, never man spake like this man. You think of how good the Lord Jesus is. You think of how great he is. So, so there's four little thoughts. This Lord Jesus who's gentle in his treatment of others. Who's gracious. Who comes to where sinners are. Who, who is good. In himself, who, who, who is great. It's written of him, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And as you begin to focus on what he's like, then you begin then to realize what you possess in Christ and realize your possession. And of course, we could also think about the fullness of Christ. The whole of his person and work. Every aspect of it. Is it any wonder the Bible says he is precious? Think of the purpose. I believe it's for 
the Savior's sake. It was Matthew Henry that said, what credit and testimony is our miserable Christian? It was Nehemiah that says in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where do we get the strength to live the Christian life? Well, well, it's from the Lord. And it's connected to the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's somebody and he's in difficulty. Here's somebody else and they've got dark trouble. And how do they cope with that? That they're a Christian. And the answer is the joy of the Lord is their strength. Focusing on him. Realizing there's fellowship with him. Realizing that, that there's a, a, a fullness in him. And, and, and it's, it's for the sake of the Savior. If he has saved us and given us the gift of joy. And is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. Then, then we want others to see that. As far as our testimony is concerned. There's a story told about um, missionaries who were in Japan. And they were there for about 22 years. And when they were there, one of the children of that dear missionary took a very terrible terminal illness and died in the mission field. And in those days, the missionaries weren't home every few years in furlough, for, for many years, they weren't home at all. And there was a man in that Japanese congregation, and he wasn't saved. And he'd been there before the missionary ever came. And of course, they were praying for this man to be saved. And, and you know what? Whenever the funeral had taken place for this little girl, a short time later, this man came and knocked on the pastor's door, and he said to the pastor that I've got saved. He told the missionary. And the missionary was overjoyed. He was thrilled. He said, we've been praying for you. Tell me, what is it that I said that made you want to get saved? Who, who talked to you about the Lord? And he said, it was nothing. I just watched your life. And I saw how you reacted to the death of your daughter. And I thought in the midst of that trial, and that tragedy and that pain, if that man can cope with that, then what he has has to be real. And of course he told the man it was the joy of the Lord in the knowledge that his daughter had died in Christ and gone to heaven and one day he could go to meet her. And, and that was his strength. It also has to be for the sake of the sinner. We live in a world of misery, a world of sadness. A world where terrible things are happening. You think of the level of child abuse that goes on. You think of 31,800 domestic abuse cases last year in Northern Ireland. You think of the tragedy that's going on in the land. Personal tragedies. What keeps us going when circumstances are against us? What keeps us going when the devil's against us? What keeps us going when it seems as if all hell is thrown against us? Here's the answer. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, there's a purpose to it. We're maintaining a testimony and maintaining a witness. And glory to God, there's a principle here. It's in the Lord. It's in union with him because I'm in a relationship with him that makes all the difference. Are you in a relationship with him? It makes all the difference. A command to be obeyed, a contentment to be objective. 
and a challenge to be optimistic. You see, it's not in the church. The church can't give you joy. And I've already testified it's not in your circumstances. Because you know what? Your circumstances can change. And here's the challenge. Let's, let's realize that. Our circumstances can change. One day I'll be sad. And the other day I could be mad because somebody's done something to annoy me and upset me. And I feel anger in the heart. And of course that is sinful and we've got to go to the Lord and we've got to try and deal with that. Someone has said in relation to the death of a loved one. How much did they leave behind? And of course the answer is they've left it all behind. And it's not that those things were taken from them. Because the house is still there. The money in the bank is still there. The, 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 the valuable assets, the, the car maybe is still there. Here's the reality when death comes. We're taken from them. We're, by a death, taken out of the scene of time. So let's remember it's not in the church. And it's not in our circumstances. Because they can change. And change quickly and rapidly. There's only one true source of joy. And it's in the Lord. It's rooted in him. It depends on him. It's the joy of the Lord. So when Paul issues this command, he's not being malicious. He's not being hard-hearted or cruel. This is not a joke. This is the stuff of life. And we can look at life through the eyes of the Lord. And once we realize that, and we face that challenge, then in light of being in union with him, in light of being a relationship with him, in light of being his, in light of being saved, I can go to him having this true source of joy. That joy's in him, it depends on him. And I can ask him, Lord, give me grace, help me to obey this command. Rejoice in the Lord. I, I have to tell you, I've only scratched the surface. Once again, I had maybe about 30 pages of notes and I've only tried to, to bring some thoughts out of that without repeating what I said in chapter 3, verse 1. And I trust this morning that the Lord will take this word and apply it to our hearts and apply it to our lives. And the Lord will help us for his sake and for the sake of others to do exactly as he has bidden us to do and that we might keep this optimism in our mind. That in the Lord I can face and do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us today.